God, we thank you and we praise you for your holiness, your goodness, your great love for us that we see in so many ways, and your power, your authority to take care of the things of this world. We praise you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing this sermon series in Matthew 8 through 9. The idea of this sermon series is that we would follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we not only learn from him, and and we not only have to imitate him, although it's good to do that. It's it's good to, if you're ever in a situation and you don't know what you should do, to, to say like the bracelet said 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? But you know what the cool thing is about following Jesus? It's not just reminding ourselves with a bracelet. It's not like our lives become better because we say, oh yeah, I learned now what I'm supposed to do. What happens as we follow Jesus is he changes our hearts. So what we're doing in this series in Matthew 8 through 9 is we're, we're taking the time to look at who Jesus is, what he did, what he taught. And, and yes, we want to learn from him. We want to become like him. But that happens because of God's powerful work in our hearts to transform us. So today we're going to see some amazing things about Jesus. Again, we'll see his authority. We see that all over the place in Matthew 8 through 9. But also we're going to see how he had complete peace in the midst of chaos. Now, I want to see a show of hands at the beginning of the sermon. How many of you have complete peace in the midst of chaos? (laughs) Not many, huh? Okay. Uh, I saw maybe some hands start to go up. That's good. Hey, if if we can even maybe, yeah, sometimes. Okay. But... God can do a work in our hearts to give us that kind of peace. But what we're going to see overall is, again, this theme of authority, that Jesus has authority over the things of this world. And because he has that authority, he is worthy to be followed. Now, our sermon passage today is the story of Jesus and the disciples on a boat in the midst of a storm. But Jesus and the disciples have very different responses, and we have a lot to learn from looking at those responses. So what we're going to do, we'll read this story, and then first we'll see what it meant for Jesus and his disciples, and then we'll talk about the storms of our life. But I just want to give you a quick word of caution, and just a quick note on how to study the Bible from this passage. This passage is so familiar to us that it can be very easy for us to jump right into, what are the storms in my life, and how can Jesus help me? But let's Good students of the Bible do a step before that. Before we say, what does this mean for me? What we should say is, what did it mean in its original setting? And then we'll be more ready to learn what it means for us. So if you're in a Bible study and the first question is, what does it mean for you? Maybe you should just raise your hand and say, let's, let's take a look at what it first meant in that setting. Okay? And for you Bible study leaders now, you have a bunch of people that are going to hold you accountable to that. So that's the best way to study the Bible. Look at it. What did it mean? Then, what does it mean now? And it's, uh, they, they, they play off of each other. So our story is Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27. Then he, that's Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, right away, there's a really important point in verse 23. 
The disciples got into the boat and eventually into this storm. Why? Because God led them there. Remember what Jesus said in our previous passage? It was in verse 18, last Sunday that we looked at. It says in there that Jesus gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. God led them into this storm. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this one, this storm wasn't the disciples' fault. It wasn't like they made some horrible decision and had to pay the consequences for it. Sometimes that happens to us in life, right? We've all been there where we make bad choices and then the storm comes in our life because of us. That happens. But this one wasn't that way. In fact, what we see here so far in this passage is actually a pretty good picture of discipleship. Jesus gave orders to get in the boat and cross the lake and they followed him and then the storm came. And God is not afraid to allow us to go through some tests of faith in our life. In fact, those tests can be very important times for our faith. But again, it's a good picture of discipleship, and one thing that we should consider here is that those who say they follow Jesus should actually follow Jesus. Our, our relationship with Jesus isn't just about saying, I prayed a prayer to receive him and now my sins are forgiven. It is that but it's also this idea that we would keep following him. There's an obedience factor here. And Jesus himself said that in John 15:10, where he said, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. We might not come up... I bet if you were to go out on the streets and do a survey, uh, how do we show our love to people in this world? I bet that obedience wouldn't even make the list. But that's what Jesus said in our relationship with him, that... To show our love for him, we are to obey him. And that means things like getting into the boat when he says get into the boat. It means taking him at his word when we hear what his word says to us. Let's move on then to the storm of verses 24 through 25. It says there that there was a furious storm that came on the lake. Some of your translations say sea. It doesn't really matter. It was just a body of water, whatever you call it. But what's interesting to me is that word storm it's interesting because it's the same word as the word for earthquake. So Matthew describes this storm on the lake as a great earthquake of a storm. And remember, many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. So they were used to a certain amount of wind and waves while on a boat. But this was different. They feared for their lives. Now, to give you a little bit of a personal story about that, I want to invite up Ed and Connie. They have a fascinating story to tell about being on a boat in a storm. So uh, I've asked them if they would share that story with us here. And uh, here, why don't you guys stand right on this side. And Hi, I'm Ed. <laughs> <coughs> Um, this is uh, the story about us uh, going from Taiwan. We were in Taiwan first as missionaries for 14 years, and then we moved to Macau to reach out to factory workers. <coughs> and because we needed to take along a few items of luggage since we were moving, we had 22 boxes and suitcases, by the way. But um, we decided to take a boat because there was a boat that ran between Taiwan and Macau regularly, and so we... It was really a ship, 300-passenger ship. A, a boat. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I should have said boat. <laughs> um, so anyway, we got on, we decided to go on this ship, 
to uh, Macau, and um, <clears throat> um, we got on the ship, and as we were heading off with our family, minus our son, oldest son, Daniel, who stayed behind in Taiwan to go to boarding school, we, the, <laughs> the ship's name was Macmosa, Formosa, Taiwan, Macau, and so they call it the Macmosa because it made this trip regularly between Macau and, and Taiwan. <clears throat> so after um, getting on the ship and looking out to see why uh, we decided, or I'm sorry, after team, our mission, asked us if we would consider going to Macau, moving to Macau to minister, we decided, um, we prayed about it and trusted that God was leading us. We were following his lead in this, so that's one point for the pastor. Um, <laughs> we were following his lead and decided that we wanted to go and be there. So the Lord got on the boat, and then we got on the boat. <laughs> uh, as we were leaving the harbor in Kaohsiung, um, we were standing along the rail. And just just a little background: the, um, there had been a typhoon in the area, and the and the ship's sailing had been delayed one day. But the typhoon had been decided was leaving the area, and so the ship decided it could go. So we loaded up, and we were standing along the rail. And as the tugboats brought us out of the harbor. And I looked down at the men in the tugboats, and they were looking up at us and just going like this. <laughs> and then they pointed out out to the the seawall, and they just went. <laughs> and I mean, I thought, what can I do about it now? <laughs> but they, in their seaman, seamanship wisdom, felt it in their bones that something was not good. <clears throat> And uh, so we headed out, we got out in, uh, into the South China Sea, and the winds increased in speed, and they tried to serve us supper, and now I know why it's called a mess hall, because <laughs> it was bad, and uh, everybody just went down to their berth and, and tried to, you know, deal with their seasickness. As the night wore on, we got, uh, in t we got into a full-fledged typhoon. And uh, typhoon is similar to a hurricane. Winds typically are from 75 to 100 miles per hour in a typhoon. If you've never been in one, you should enjoy that experience. <laughs> but um, as we were um, in this typhoon, and uh, the, the people on the ship, the captain, I suppose, said, came over the intercom and said, said that we're weighing sea anchor. And what that means is they couldn't make it into port because both Macau and Hong Kong, Macau is next door to Hong Kong, across the river, um, both ports were in, inundated with this typhoon. So they couldn't make it ahead, so they had to stop in the middle of the ocean. There was no place to go, no safe harbor. So they weighed sea anchor, which means they just kind of rolled with the waves. And um, any of you get seasick, they went up and down. Uh -huh. I get seasick on a swing, so you can imagine where I was. Um, so, we instead of heading into the storm, where we stopped and weighed sea. And so the boat was going. The ship was. The captain said to stow everything. He said we're weighing sea anchor. He said this in Chinese and English. He, I think we were the only English speakers on there. But he said we're going to weigh sea anchor and ride out this storm and stow everything and basically get in your bunks and hang on. And it, it leaned over.
I just was, Lord? <laughs> and then it would, then it would, I mean, it would hover there, and then it would lean over. So we were wallowing in the waves instead of going into them. And this went on for about 24 hours. Um, my daughter, I went back and forth between the story of Jonah and the story of Paul assuring everyone on board that he had a word from the Lord that all would be well. And I went back and forth, and I just said, oh, Lord. And uh, Ed, I think, was praying that uh, they would throw him overboard, and he was so sick. And uh, my daughter, uh, who was 11 at the time, and our son was 9, she said, Mom, could this ship go down? And I said, honey, I think it could. And so we talked about that, that it would, we're going to be okay either way. We're in Jesus' arms, and whether we go home to heaven or we get to Macau, either way is fine. And the Lord really gave her peace. And, and she fell asleep after it got a little bit better. And uh, the Lord really gave me peace, too, and an assurance that he was in control. But if you've ever seen a typhoon, I mean, in, in the scripture it talks about the waves going over the boat. Well, the waves were going over the ship and knocking it from side to side. My son tried to walk across an area and just hit it wrong. He literally flew about 40 feet over and hit the other side of the wall. He was okay. But it was tremendous power, and it was awe-inspiring, but if it wasn't so terrifying as well. That was in their cabin. In our cabin, my, jo- my son John, Jonathan and I were in the next door cabin, and these cabins were very small and very far down in the ship. Um, but um, uh, we weren't nearly as spiritual over there. My son would ask me about those things, and I'd say, be quiet, I'll, I'll throw up. <laughs> <laughs> so I was glad that my wife was in the next door cabin praying. <clears throat> After we... The Lord brought us through that storm miraculously, and the next afternoon we limped into the harbor in Macau. The, the, the typhoon had headed out, and so the harbor opened up. And uh, we offloaded all of our boxes and went into the port. And as we got into the port, um, we looked down, and all of the missionaries in Macau were there waiting for us. And um, once not in our mission or anything, they had all been praying nonstop for two days for us. And because they knew it was supposed to have arrived the day before, and it hadn't gotten there, and they knew, didn't know where on earth we were. And one man shared that uh, the Lord had woken him up in the night, the night before last, and uh, just with the burden to pray, and that was just at the time that the captain had said, we're going to weigh sea anchor. Later on, when after we arrived safely at harbor, and our 22 boxes and suitcases got carried off by these nine missionaries, because the one that was on the ship, or at least one of the ones on the ship, wasn't in any shape to carry anything, um, one of the missionaries um, in Macau knew the navigator on the ship, and so he had talked to him afterwards, and he said, what happened? And the navigator told him, he said, when we weighed sea anchor, 
<clears throat> the crew watched a certain um, instrument that they have on the deck, and the instrument shows the listing of the ship, how far over it would go, and they knew that there was a certain point of listing where it wouldn't return. It would just keep going. And he said they watched it up on the bridge, getting closer and closer. And because it, they were in such a situation and, and there was water everywhere and going over, there was no way to get anybody's lifeboats, themselves or anyone else. And they just watched it and watched it. And pretty soon it hit that point and they just waited for it to just founder. It kept coming up. All night long it went over. According to the law of physics, it can't write itself, and went up again. And so, when we after we limped into harbor, we found out that the Macamosa uh, never sailed again. It was towed away; it was broken. But we really had a very strong sense that it was a miracle from the Lord that we had worked to, that He wanted us to do in Macau, and uh, we just give glory to God for experiencing that with the Lord. And we're not sure how much our 22 boxes and suitcases had in that miracle, but we know they had a part in keeping it up. <laughs> it can be a pretty trying thing to be in the midst of a storm, uh, whether that's on a boat or whether that's in real life. Uh, it's amazing how your daughter was able to sleep, how Jesus was able to sleep in the midst of this storm. And let, let, let's think about Jesus in the midst of that. Just like weepers were saying, Jesus was following his Father's will. So of course, what, what can you do but have complete peace when you know that you're in the center of God's will? Uh, we could do something else, but Jesus wouldn't. He knew he could have complete peace. Now, the disciples, uh, let's not be too hard on them. It sounds terrifying. Your story sounds terrifying. Uh, I love that part about how Ed was saying, pass me the bucket, and Connie's saying, either way, it'll be okay. <laughs> so um, we're not going to be too hard on you, though. But um, that, that prayer that you prayed, and who knows how many others on the boat were praying, the prayer that the disciples prayed, Lord, save us, that is a good picture. Eventually the disciples are going to get rebuked for their lack of faith, but at least here in this spot, they cried out to God with what faith they did have. And, and that's what we should do. When we sense those storms in life coming with whatever faith we have, let's go to Jesus and trust in him. The, the Psalms in the Old Testament are filled with examples of people crying out to God and God responding. Um, Let's not forget, that, and I thank you, Ed, for reminding us of it, that in verse 23, this all came about because they were following Jesus. And again, sometimes God lets those storms come into your life. If there's a storm in your life, you can be assured that it's only there because there is a good and loving God who has allowed it to come into your life. God sometimes uses these storms as a test of our faith, and we'll get back to that point in a little bit when we apply this. Um, just know in your next storm of life, maybe you're in one now, and if not, there's probably another one coming. Know that you can go to God with whatever faith you have and, and trust him to get you through it. Let's move on to verse 26. Jesus there replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? 
Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now, this might sound harsh at first glance, uh, but the more I study it, the more I just look at it as an accurate statement. The disciples were more afraid than they needed to be, because literally, Jesus was in the same boat as they were, and he had peace. So, so their fear showed something wrong, and then one of my friends said this week, their fear meter was high, and their faith meter was low. Do you ever get like that in a storm? And then it comes the part where Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, and this rebuke was so effective that at the beginning it was a great earthquake, and then at the end it, it literally says it was a great calm. And I, I like how Jesus was able to bring great calm. And if Jesus can do that with the winds and the waves, then we should know that he can do it in our hearts as well. And, and let's remember one of the lessons, it's one of the repeated lessons of Matthew 8 through 9, that Jesus has complete authority. So whatever it is that we go through, we can know that God's in control of it. All that Jesus had to do was speak to the winds and the waves and they had to submit. And just think again there, this is the point that I, I like to come back to. It was the the word of Jesus. And at some point in Matthew 8 through 9, it says all he had to do was speak one word. Then think about that. This is Jesus, through whom the universe came into existence. And, and how did the universe come into existence? God spoke it into existence. So here's Jesus again, with the word showing his authority over the earth. And the earth had to obey. Uh, I find this pretty fascinating that in all of God's creation, there's only one being, one kind of being, that, that doesn't obey. It's, it's those to whom he has given free will. Those, those of us created in his image. Um, I suppose you could, you could put the angels into that category as well. But all the rest of creation has to obey when there's a word from the creator. His, his word is so powerful that they obey. And the question for us becomes, will we obey? All of God's creation was meant to give him glory. We can give him glory by obeying. We were talking about this uh, passage in our leadership team meeting earlier this week, and on that point, uh, Brian Carlson reminded us of a verse from Romans 11.36, which says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So I think it was to the glory of God that at first there was a storm, because that storm was meant as a test of faith. But then I also think it was to the glory of God that the storm would stop when Jesus said stop. And it's, it's actually a good picture for us of obedience, and it's a good reminder for us that we would obey the word of God. So, does the word of God have its rightful place in your life? Are you letting God's word have its authority in your life? Are you submitting to it? Then getting back to verse 26, we see these two rebukes. Uh, at the end, Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, and they had to obey. But at the beginning of that verse, Jesus rebuked the disciples, saying, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Um, I don't think that that was meant to belittle them. I think it was meant to teach them. And, and here's a really important lesson in life. Are you ready to listen to a rebuke? I, I don't know that any of us like a rebuke. If so, um, you might want to get that checked out. But uh, actually, you know what? Maybe not. Because if you have trained yourself to listen to a rebuke, you have learned one of the great lessons in life. And that lesson is that we don't always know the right way to go, and sometimes we need to hear from God. Sometimes that rebuke comes directly from God when we know we're doing something wrong, 
and we listen to him. Sometimes it comes as we read his word and we see that something in our life doesn't line up with what he wants for us. Sometimes that rebuke might come from a brother or a sister in Christ. We've maybe all been in that situation. But wherever it comes from, are you willing and ready to listen to a rebuke? Too often we try to justify ourselves if God sends the rebuke. Now think about that. If, if we were on the boat, if we were one of those disciples, we might have said, hey, what do you mean little faith? Don't you see where I am? I got on the boat with you. I'm, I'm following you. I asked, you asked me to go and I went. I gave up stuff to do this. I'm here with you. What do you mean little faith? Do any of you ever sense yourselves getting like that when you hear a rebuke? If so, that is the wrong way to take a rebuke. The better way to take a rebuke, and, and this is one of the great life lessons I learned, I've, I've given it here before, I'll give it again, bite your tongue. And the lesson I le- the way it was given to me, was bite your tongue for 24 hours. If somebody says you've done something wrong, bite your tongue, pray. Maybe the person who gave you the rebuke was way off base. But even so, what, what do you need to do to justify yourself? They're not the one who can condemn you. Go to God and see if there's anything in that rebuke. Be humble enough to say, God, here's the rebuke that was given to me. What in that is from you? Let's be people who are always ready to hear from God. And it takes some discernment sometimes, but let's be ready to hear from God. Okay, so verse 26, again, we see this theme of the authority of Jesus And then moving on to verse 27, we start to see how the disciples responded. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. It's a good question to ask. What kind of man is this? And for those disciples, it led them to keep on seeking after Jesus. Eventually, these disciples turned out to be men of strong faith, going out to the ends of the world to proclaim the gospel message. So so what happened? What changed them from, oh, you of little faith, to these men of great faith. What was it? The the resurrection would certainly be part of that. They they kept following Jesus. They they kept putting themselves in the place where they could hear from him, where God would do that work to change their hearts. They weren't ready at this point to go out and be the apostles who would write scripture and who would die for their faith. What they needed to do was to spend time with Jesus. And God would make them ready for what he had for them. So the miracles of Jesus, and again, that's one of the questions we should ask in Matthew 8 through 9. What are they there for? Well, one of the reasons they're there is for us to consider who Jesus is, and when we consider who he is, we see that he has authority and that he is worthy to be followed. The disciples learned that lesson, and they kept following him. And the same thing will happen for us. God will work in our hearts. Even as we go through storms in life, God will work in us to change our hearts from the inside. Because Jesus has complete authority and he is worthy to be followed. None of that is in question from God's perspective. What's in question is whether we will keep following him. So what I want to do for now, for the rest of this sermon, is I want to get at the what about the storms in our life question. So, are you going through a storm in life right now? Maybe it's not a literal storm like Ed and Connie had or like the disciples had here. A storm can be anything that troubles your soul, anything that comes about and you find that lack of peace, that unrest inside of you. What kind of faith 
do you have in the midst of those storms? What do you believe about the authority of Jesus in those storms? Well, I want to make five points of application here, and we'll go through these fairly quickly. Number one, when fear comes, the answer is faith. Now, I'm struck by two things in the way the disciples responded. For one, at least they went to Jesus. At least they got that part right. At least they didn't say, hey, we're fishermen, we can take care of this. They went to Jesus because they knew they needed his help, and Jesus did help. But then I'm also struck by the fact that they had little faith. Because I think they saw the wind and the waves more than they saw the authority of Jesus at that moment. So for us, when trials come, let's go right to Jesus. Let's trust that he will give us whatever we need. Instead of panicking, do any of you ever panic in the midst of your storm? Now, we're good Minnesotans, right? And we've learned how to put on the exterior that says there's no trouble here. But I'm talking about what goes on inside your heart. Do you ever have panic? Instead, let's be people who pray. We can pray and we can trust that God will give us peace because the presence of God is with us in the midst of the storm. And that leads into the second application. We can have peace in the storms of life because of God's power and goodness. Let's look at again at verse 25 here. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Well, it's not an accurate statement. They weren't going to drown. They weren't going to die in that storm. So what was going on in the heat of the moment for them? Had God failed? Or or what goes on for us in, in, in our storms in our life? When we sense something going wrong in our heart and we have despair, has God failed? No. I like Connie's line there, either way we'll be with Jesus. God has power to calm the storms. And not only that, we learn from Romans 8.28 that God is good and he works all things together for the good of those who love him. So if bad things happen, again, please know that the powerful God of love wants to be with you as you go through it. But again, our response needs to be faith. Let's not forget the power and the goodness of God in the midst of our storms. But that brings up a question for me, and we'll do just a, a little side trip here. It's a question that maybe has come up in your mind as you've heard about this. What if God doesn't take the storm away? It's great when God does this. We know that God is able to do this But what if God doesn't calm the storm? Well, I would hope that you would have the faith to realize that he has a good reason for allowing you to go through it. And we actually have two great patterns in Scripture to go to when we consider this question, what if God doesn't take the the storm away? The first one is from the life of Jesus himself. He had one of these storms in life when he was about to go to the cross. And remember, the Garden of Gethsemane, such an important place in Scripture for us to go to. There we see Jesus as a human being not wanting to be nailed to a Roman cross and left there to die. So remember what he prayed? He said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But the really important part of his prayer is what came next, and it shows his trust in God in the midst of the storm. He said, Yet not as I will, but as you will. For Jesus, it was the will of God that he would continue to go through that storm. And, and we know the end of the story. We know that there was more glory given to God because Jesus went through the crucifixion, not because God took it away. God allowed Jesus to go through that storm, and sometimes God allows us to go through our storms, but will we give glory to God? I'm reminded of my sister-in-law who uh, I told you we were fasting and praying 
And uh, that day when we prayed with her, her prayer was, and it was amazing. It, it was, God, I want my life to be about your glory. There's another example from Scripture that we have. What if God doesn't take away the storm? The Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh. It tormented him. How many times did he pray that God would take it away? Three. Did God do it? No. What was Paul's response? Well, he wrote down his response for us in Scripture. Paul heard from the Lord saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And what did that do inside of Paul? He thought, well, hey, if God's power is going to be revealed through my weakness, then I'm going to boast about my weakness. I want other people to see the power of God. So if my weakness does that, then let everyone know about it. God didn't still that storm, but Paul knew the presence of God with him in that storm. Sometimes God lets the storm remain, but please rest assured, have peace, and know that God wants to be with you in the midst of it. Will you still follow? That's the question. Will you still follow God, even in the midst of your storm? And that leads to number three here. God is with his people in the midst of storms. As I've said here many times, I think the biggest blessing in the Bible is the blessing of God with us. And one of the reasons I say that is because it gets at the very heart of the gospel message. The gospel is the message that that God knows about our sin, that he loves us anyways and sent Jesus to take our sin penalty upon himself. Why? So that we could be with God forever. the, The God with us theme is seen powerfully in the gospel. The God with us theme is seen powerfully in this story of Jesus calming the storm. So, what place do storms play in the life of faith? Well, they can be a test of faith. In the storms, we learn what kind of faith we have. Uh, many years ago, my friend and I were talking about storm, uh, about tests of faith, and he said, and I think he might be right about this, he said, perhaps God doesn't test our faith so that he will know what kind of faith we have, but so that we would know what kind of faith we have. And in that sense, the storms are very valuable. God treats our faith as if it were more valuable than gold. So the testing of our faith is a valuable and important process, but God will be with us in the midst of it. God will be with us in the midst of it. And if you can confidently cling to God in the midst of your storms, you have learned to trust in Emmanuel. God with us. And I pray that we would all have that kind of faith, clinging to God. But it reminds us of another point of application. It's a truth that we need to remember. The gospel covers the worst storm that could ever come our way. The disciples here in this story were terrified, and we we shouldn't be too hard on them. Uh, Like Ed and Connie have said, it would be terrifying to be on a boat like that. But that terror is nothing compared to the terror of spending eternity apart from God. And Jesus himself warned us not to be on the wrong side of that one. But thankfully, the Bible also repeatedly tells us that Jesus has defeated the powers of sin and death and the devil. And it tells us that he has done so because God loves us. For God so loves the world that he sent his Son. God doesn't want us to be separated from him eternally. He wants us to be rescued So we can do just like what the disciples did. Remember what they called out? They said, Lord, save us. And he did. Now, God may not save us from every physical trial, every physical storm in this life, or from every emotional storm that we have in our lives, 
He may let some of those persist for longer than we would like. But thankfully, through Jesus, we can be saved from the worst storm if we cry out, Lord, save us. As our Savior, he is fully able to save us forever. And as our Lord, we should follow him. And that leads to our final application point. Uh, Sorry here. Where did I go? Number five. The miracles of Jesus should remind us to follow him and to worship him. Again, we should ask, Matthew 8 through 9, all these miracles, whether it's a disease, a fever, a demon, a storm, Jesus has authority over them. And the disciples here in verse 7 were amazed. Their response was the right response then, to keep on following him. May we recognize the tremendous power of Jesus. And as somebody mentioned before, we see that power in the resurrection. I think that all of these miracles in Matthew 8 through 9 are meant to point ahead to the resurrection and to remind us that Jesus has power over sin and death and the devil. And as we think about that, we should consider what our faith is like and what our faith should be like. We are to keep following the one who has power over death. We're to keep following the one who told us in John 16 that in this world we will have trouble. Isn't that interesting? Jesus didn't say, put your faith in me and everything's going to be perfectly taken care of. No more problems anymore. There is a place for that, right? It's called heaven. But in this world, you will have trouble. Who knows the next part of that verse? Nice. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The God who knows that we will have trouble in this world is the God who also will be with us in the midst of our troubles. So are you going through a storm in your life right now? I know of several storms in the congregation right now. There's probably lots and lots and lots that I don't know about. Are you going through one right now? The question is, will you trust God in the midst of the storm. Again, any storm that's coming your way comes because God has allowed it. He loves you and he wants to be with you in the midst of it. Will you trust in him? Will you keep seeking him? Keep following him? Even if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, will you trust that he loves you and has good plans for this? I pray that your faith may not fail. I pray that you would be able to strengthen and encourage those around you. It's so encouraging when you see somebody going through a trial and they trust in God. Maybe, maybe that's one of the, the reasons for your storm right now is that your faith would stand out like a light in a dark place. But that all comes first and foremost from the heart as God transforms your heart as you follow Jesus, as you recognize his authority Will you keep following him by faith, even in the midst of a storm? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your heart's desire for us to be with you, for your heart's desire to eventually take care of everything and make everything new. But God, as we wait for that time, as we live in this world where we are promised to have trouble, may we trust that you have overcome the world, that your heart's desire is to be with us, that you will comfort us and give us peace in the midst of the storm. So God, we come before you and we agree again that Jesus is worthy to be followed as the one who has authority over the things of this world 
He is worthy to be followed. May we keep following him. May we keep on worshiping you as we trust in you in whatever you allow to come our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.